welcome to the NCETM podcast. I'm Gwen Trezida from the communications team at the NCETM and I'm here today with Faye Glendinning and Sam Chukkiva. These two are both primary mastery specialists, trained last year and now this year working to introduce teaching for mastery in their own schools and other schools in their area. In this podcast we'll be finding out about how they've gone about introducing teaching for mastery approaches in their schools but in particular I want to ask them about using the episodic teaching style which is often known as the ping-pong. I want to know why Teaching for Mastery uses this approach and also how on earth you go about planning a lesson using this approach. Anyway, first let me introduce them. So uh, Sam comes from West Yorkshire Maths Hub. Uh, Sam, do you want to tell us a little bit about the school you teach at? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I work across um, many schools in my role, but I primarily teach at uh, Aquinnah Primary School, which is a uh, one, uh, one and a half farm school in uh, Halifax at the moment. Um, so I teach year six okay. uh, with that, that school. Thank you. And Faye, can you, uh, Faye's from Central Maths Hub, which is based in Birmingham. Can you tell us a bit about your school and where you're based? Yeah, similar to Sam, I work mm-hmm. across um, different schools within my multi-academy trust, so I'm the lead maths practitioner. But primarily I work at Cedars Academy, which is a three-form entry junior school, um, and I teach in year five. Thank you. Okay, um, so let's get a bit of background on these two. Um, I really want to know, first of all, about uh, how you first heard about Teaching for Mastery um, and what made you want to get involved. And then at some point you made a decision to become a Mastery Specialist. So so uh, how did that come about? Do you want to start, Sam? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll give a plug to my old head teacher and my uh, deputy <laughs> head. It was my head teacher, really, who kind of... It was kind of in my first, second year of um, teaching. It wasn't... Mastery, mastery was kind of starting up, really. Um, and she said, you know, this is it something you'd be interested in? And my deputy head... Uh, who came from a previous school, he said, you know, I've brought some documents that I've from my previous school to do a reasoning and I, I read them and I was just thinking there's kind of a new way of thinking that I'd not seen before. Mm. Um, so it was kind of, I don't know, me chasing the, um, something a bit different. Because I've always kind of wanted to make sure that I'm doing something, you know, the best I can be when it comes to right. teaching. And um, you've been teaching how long? So it's my, it's my sixth year at the moment. Right. Um, so, so this my, was what, three years ago? This was three years ago, yeah. yeah. Um, and then it's quite quick. So we joined a, t- uh, a teacher research group um, and we got involved with West Yorkshire Maths Hub at the time. Um, and then uh, a year after that I became a primary math specialist, mastery specialist I should say. Um, and then, yeah, kind of grew from there. Right. And what about you, Faye? Um, for us, we was um, a school that was a requires improvement. It still is a requires improvement school, but we had um, the central master was down the road, and it was always supporting our school anyway as part of its um, things to the local authority. Yeah. Um, and we didn't realise that the central master was at this school. My head teacher, we needed to strip our curriculum out, and we needed to bring something in for our children. Um, in the three years, we've had a complete turnover of staff with that, and at the time, I'd just been made maths lead at the school. Um, we took advantage of everything the maths have offered to us. So we started off with um, subject knowledge enhancements and teacher research groups, not really understanding what mastery was at that point. And it was when I saw um, one of the first math round of mastery specialists in a teacher research group that I could see the impact that it could have for children in the classroom. And actually, as a person that struggled with maths myself as a child, I could see how 
doing this approach would help children understand mathematics and I realised all of a sudden why I hated math so much as a child really? and wanted it so that the children in our school and all the children that we teach in the future don't have that same fear as maths that I did and I saw that this approach from the teacher research group um, was a way that that could be achieved and actually you could see that all of a sudden rather than working extremely hard in the classroom differentiating five ways <laughs> how a change in the approach to teaching um, which I could see wasn't going to be an easy fix as well, was something that could really benefit the children if done in the right way. Right. So for me, it was um, seeing that teacher research group in action, seeing the impact that mastery could have, um, and then obviously from there, taking part in teacher research groups, and that's when I chose to become a specialist after being involved. I literally took advantage of everything Central Maths have had to offer, <laughs> linked to mastery. <laughs> Other maps are available. <laughs> um, right, okay. Um, <clears throat> Can you tell me a little bit about where your schools have got to now with teaching for mastery? Are you, are you still just um, just gently introducing it, or are your schools running with it now? Do you want to start, Faye? Yeah, we um, we took the full approach. So everyone went heads in because we needed to change. Um, our results weren't anywhere near national. Um, we needed to to make sure. And my head teacher, the type of head teacher that he goes at everything and everyone goes at the same time. Times we've questioned that, but actually now in the impact that we're seeing, um, we're glad that we went across school straight away. The biggest impact we saw, first of all, was children's attitudes towards maths changed overnight. Um, mm. Previously to introducing Maths Mastery, children, I could see them cowering away from me when I walked into the classroom to talk to them about maths. Um, they saw maths as a one-hour subject with addition, subtraction, multiplication, division when I spoke to them through a pupil voice. Now you go in and the children kind of throw their book in front of you. They, they chase me down the corridor sometimes if they've done extra maths at home. They are able to articulate their understanding of maths. They're not scared. Um, if visitors come in, they're, they're excited about the maths. Um, my head teacher does pupil groups every week and he always talks about how positively the children talk about maths. So for us, that was the biggest change first of all but then um, we've introduced lots of things so we resources are outmost lessons across all, all year groups from year three to six in our school um, and we've already seen an impact in the arithmetic so uh, we, um, we, we achieved more we're really close to national arithmetic last year our results have at the end of key stage two have improved by 22 percent wow. over the last two years as a result of it and not just at the end of Key Stage 2, but year upon year, our data now, we've got more and more children each time working at ARE or greater depth. So um, we've, I'd say, fully embedded it. It's not perfect. We're still working on it. I don't think it's something that you can get perfect in three years. Yeah. Um, and there's always tweaks and changes that we're looking to make and striving to do better. But I think just the children's attitudes, the teachers' attitudes, we've been very lucky. Yes, we've had, had a few people that are a bit reserved to it, but actually I think it's about the approach you take with those teachers and showing them why the benefits of doing it this way are there and what impact that has us, has for the pupils. And we've got our staff on board, so we've, we're fully embedded across our school, um, but just developing it and, and refining it and tweaking it mm. to make it the best for the children, really. And what about you, sir? Um, so I think we're... Maybe a slightly earlier journey than it sounds like at your school, Faye. Um, we are, we've still, I think we've got a lot of, quite a few NQTs at our school. So for our school, it's kind of, it's a good opportunity because we can start from the real base, not the basics, but the beginning points. Um, so we're really trying to get to the grips of maybe look, tackling a certain area at a time. So we're tackling really getting those representations used throughout the school, but also um, 
trying to have those deeper conversations about why you might choose particular resources, uh, what the structure is exposing to do with the maths. Um, we are hoping to move on to something kind of the lines of variation, but that's maybe a sort of next year goal, really. We're trying to very much break it down to small steps as you would do when you're teaching, really. Um, I mean, I've, I changed my role about a year or so ago. So my, my previous school, we had quite a lot of, I you know, put a lot of things in, in place and it feels like I'm starting again mm. in a sort of new setting, which is nice because I can take all those lessons I've learned from starting up in the previous school, but just put it into a new setting. Yeah. But just to add some, that's kind of the approach <coughs> we took as well. So we initially started that we wanted to focus on with representations and resources. Then we looked at variation. Um, we've had a real push this year on vocabulary and making mm. sure that we've got that precise vocabulary being used. So it's been broken down, but I think because we've been doing it for three years now, we've started to see that impact yeah. Um, coming through as well. And any, you've talked a lot about the successes at your school, uh, Faye. Are there uh, any things you've found particularly challenging? Yes. Um, so, and it always comes up with my teachers is send and hire retaining pupils. Mm. So, we've had a real push with language in our school of not saying higher ability or lower ability, of saying prior higher retainers, lower prior retainers, so that teachers are really realising that a child can go into a lesson and they might be the lowest attaining child in that class at the moment, but actually they could be the highest attaining child within that lesson. That's still a work in progress in our school. Right. So trying to change that language of that we've not got groups, we've not got higher ability children, lower, lower ability, we've got prior higher attainers. Um, and so is the language important there? Are we, are we trying to say that, are we, are we trying to take away that idea that there are children that are high ability and are lower ability. Is that what the language is trying to do? I think by using the term ability, you're saying that only those children are able to... If you're saying higher ability, only those children are able to achieve a certain point because when actually it's because they're a higher attainer that you're saying that. Whereas if you look at some areas of mathematics, you could have children that are perceived to be poor academically that actually excel in that area and... So we have that idea that all the children have access to all of the work and all of them can achieve the highest point in that lesson, but it's scaffolded to the lowest attaining child as well. So um, that's kind of how we have the higher, the higher attainers. And we also have a thing called um, dive deeper. So rather than we've mastered it, once we've achieved what the teacher wants them to achieve in a lesson, there's a dive deeper board that we've got in all our classes that we've got things like, can you write your own story about it? Can you represent it in a different way? And the children take ownership of that and it's up to them how they dive deeper okay. with a particular concept. Um, so that's a trial at the moment. We've introduced that this year, so we'll, we'll monitor and see how that the impact that's having. For our SEND children, um, obviously sometimes there's significant gaps there so it could be that they're two or three years behind the rest of their peers so we've we've looked at lots of different angles with that so we've looked at trying to pull groups off and trying to fill gaps and then get them back into the mainstream classroom um, that's had a bit of a, an impact when we did that so that actually those children it wasn't that they were sent for maths it was just that they had huge gaps in their learning and by bringing them out of the classroom for a term or two terms We've managed to fill those gaps and now they're back in with their peers working at the, um, the same level as, as them. Another way we've done it is for children that are part of the classroom and if they can't 
we haven't got the accessibility to bring them out of the classroom is we scaffold work so it might be that they have the same sheet as everyone else or the same activity as everyone else but actually they've got a picture to help them or they've got an, an example of how to do it or, or as simple as if we're doing like column addition maybe it could be that theirs is written out in the column method for them so they haven't got to write that in their books mm. um, so it's looking at different ways that we can try and scaffold the work without making the work different for them um, because we've talked a lot about in our school how just making the numbers smaller doesn't mean it's easier for them. If they can do it with four digits, they can do it with two digits, they can do it with four digits. Um, so they're some of the ch most challenging areas we've had, um, but it's trying to find, I think, of ways that you can overcome them. And, yeah. and saying to my staff, I haven't got all the answers, but looking at what we can do, trialling it, and then seeing the impact yeah. that that has. Yeah. I can just add to that, I think, Accessibility is, it, it sounds straightforward how to make lessons accessible, but I, I think if you say to teachers that, okay, we want you to teach one lesson for all, how do you make that accessible to every single child in the class? That's a big, big problem for a lot of teachers. And I, that's one of my biggest challenges of kind of working with teachers has been, how do you teach one concept to everybody? Um, and that's, you know, that's that subject knowledge aspect of it that maybe sometimes is not always there about how do you make those steps smaller enough? What what is the thing it needs to come before this point? What comes after this point? It's it's not always obvious and smacks you in the face, really. Mm, no, and I suppose to add to that as well, that's where I think some of our teach what they found challenging is some of those representations mm. as well, and and linking to what Sam was saying that that small concept is needed naturally, but knowing what resources to use mm. and how to use them and and the way to teach from them. And that links back to the subject knowledge that Sam was just talking about as well. Teachers need to have really secure mm. subject knowledge in maths to be able to um, scaffold that learning, the steps that are needed as well. So right. More so than before, a without a teaching for mastery approach, do you think? <coughs> I think so, definitely, because I think previously you'd have looked at a le an objective and you may have done two lessons on that, whereas now we're saying can you do six or seven lessons on that? And they're mm -hmm. trying and really trying to think through, well, what do the children need to do first to be able to do this, to be able to do this? Um, and then as well as all of a sudden saying, particularly being a junior school, when I was there, there was no resources across school. And they were like, you want me to use resources? And they not knowing how to, so actually then having to do training and professional development for the teachers on how do we use these resources and why are we using the re these resources? Because I know some of my teachers fell into the trap initially um, of, oh, well, they've got the resources out to help them do the maths. And it's like, it's not about them doing yeah. the maths. It's about showing those underlying structures right. uh, to support the understanding for the children. So that's a complete um, change in thinking for teachers yeah. that they've not had to think in that way before. Okay. Um, so putting training on, but that's an area that we've had to do a lot of work on in the first year or so yeah. to ensure teachers were supported with that. Right. And when, you, when you're talking about resources, you're talking about manipulatives. Manipulatives, yeah. 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 So um, I'm going to move on now to, to think about the ping-pong style of lesson. Does one of you want to explain to our listeners uh, what we mean by the ping-pong style of lesson and, and, what, and why it looks different when you go into the classroom? I mean, uh, can I just say, I think when you first emailed me about this, Gwen, mm. and you put, you know, what do you mean by episodic teaching? And I'd, 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 I'd not referred to it as episodic teaching before. And I thought that was a really, I think there's a better way of describing it than ping-pong for right. me personally. That was phase word actually. That was phase word, so <laughs> all credit goes to pay for that one. Um, until I heard that word, I was like, that's a, that's a much better way of explaining it. Um, 
and seeing teaching is, is broken into little segments, really. Um, I When I heard it referred to as ping-pong, I what preconceptions I had was it was very much back-forth, 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 like, very rapidly. And I thought that would be, obviously, the way that I'd be questioning. Now, whilst there was obviously going to be a lot of questioning, and that's, you know, again, a good math lesson, you should have lots of rich questions. It's not just about question-response, question-response, question-response. It's more about, um, you know, getting, not necessarily... Um, dismantling the traditional three-part lesson but thinking about lessons in a much more um not unstructured but a more carefully structured way um so a traditional way of you know you might have an input children do a bit of practice so maybe your input's 20 minutes your practice is 30 minutes and then you've got a five minute 10 minute plenary well that time might be broken up into into segments so you might be doing five minute teaching two or three minute practice you know 10 minute exploration five minute practice backwards and forwards and that, that practice might actually be doing something on a worksheet so it might be actually solving something or getting to do a little bit of thinking and then right everybody once you've done that let's come back together let's do the next little bit of thinking okay do a bit more t you know questioning input right then back to you a bit more practice I and mean, that can go on and it's flexible during the lesson mm. i think just to build on what sam was saying it's it's that when we're talking about that thinking about what needs to come within the lesson to achieve that concept. So within those episodic teaching, so when Sam was saying you do a bit of input and the children are doing it, that might vary throughout the lesson. So it could be that you're varying the way that you're looking at that concept. It could be that you're starting off with the manipulatives and then actually you're, you're putting that question in a slightly different way to the children, but they're still having to think about just that same concept. And then you're tweaking the wording or you're putting it into a slightly different problem-solving type way so that the children are building that understanding up as they go through the lesson so that when they come to do their independent practice or their intelligent practice, that they are able to look at that concept in lots of different ways because they've been explored it in lots of different ways within the lesson um, so that you actually are, are confident as the teacher that you have that um, they have that secure understanding of what you're trying to achieve and actually it's not that they just know it in one way and they can do it in one way you've explored it in four or five ways within the lesson so therefore they, they're <coughs> likely to have a better understanding and I suppose you know that all children have done that rather than yes. only yes. the ones Absolutely. that got so far down through yeah. the worksheet and I think, I think as well with variation being such a huge part of mastery um, whereas previously you might have said oh those children are going to go off and start something because we know they can do it and these children are going to have the input and then I'm going to bring them back to do something with me actually this way the whole point of that first step that you do yes your higher retainers or if you call them higher ability your higher ability might find that really easy but actually that that key point there could be really fundamental to the step three or four parts down the line where actually it's more challenging for some children in your class mm -hmm. but if your higher retaining children haven't have explored that they could also find that challenging because they haven't gone through that sequence of steps mm -hmm. as well right. so it's thinking about that yes that initial point so we call it um, um low low entry but high ceiling so we always have a low entry with that task of building but having ways that those children that find it easy can build on that as well so mm -hmm. if it's a, if they're, they're exploring something we might then say to children that we might know solve that quickly can you show it in lots of different ways so if you solve one way how many ways can you think of right. can you so that children who um might find that quite simple at the beginning of that episodic teaching actually aren't aren't bored and aren't just sitting there they've got things to explore and things to do so that as you build through that lesson they they're they're, they're with you on that journey so they can achieve that end point but i think um 
it's really important to have those key steps so that you you know children have got that more secure understanding of that concept in lots of different ways. Yeah. Right. And I, th- I certainly think the the idea for me and the kind of is you want children to find it, you know, that you want them to, to be thinking deeply all the way through, but you want them to come to this very deep level of understanding by the end of that lesson that almost feels organic, like you've got there naturally through the way you've been thinking and how you've scaffolded it. By the end of a lesson you think, the kids are reasoning with depth and, you, and you're surprised by it, or they're surprised by how, if you'd have given that question at the start of the lesson, they might have gone, Don't, what, you know, I have no idea how to even yeah. tackle this question, but by the end of the lesson, it's it's like second nature. It's right. it's obvious. It's like how can how can you not understand this? It's easy. <laughs> and also, I think from a, from a teacher point of view, sometimes when you have those lessons where you've taught, you're just thinking, why don't the children get it? What are they not getting? Yeah. By having it broken into those steps, you can really pinpoint yeah. the yeah. part that the children oh, are okay. finding difficult. So you can say, well, actually, they can do this and they could do this, but this is where they really come unstuck. So actually, my next lesson, I need to do more work on this. And I need yeah. to focus, or I need to do some additional work outside on this particular thing because that's what's stopping them achieving the next step. Whereas before, I think with it with the old style of teaching where you had that 20 minutes you didn't know where the children were coming and stuck with with something because that was all taught together whereas by you having some input the children having a go because the teachers walking around and they're looking and they're <coughs> seeing what the children do you can identify those gaps straight away and you can draw upon those misconceptions straight away because as, as the children are doing that activity if you see someone that's doing something incorrect I, I have a great thing of I love mistakes so we bring it up to the front and we explore it and we look because the likelihood is if one child's done that there's going to be five or six in your yeah. class that have done the same thing so it allows you to address those misconceptions straight away rather mm. than having the whole input get into the work and then seeing all those misconceptions as well. Yes, yeah. um, so one thing that strikes me is is it harder to manage as the teacher at the front of the class? Are you Does it feel like you're juggling more balls? Because I you know I think when you're standing at the front of the class and you're teaching and the, the children are, in theory, just listening and then they're, the next bit they're working and you're walking around, that, that feels like less balls to juggle than when I've seen a teaching mm. mastery lesson and it looks like you're juggling 100 balls. Is it more difficult? Or I, mean, is I, I, mean, I don't know about you, Faye, but I feel like in terms of assessment for learning, it's a lot more helpful and actually you end up having to do a lot less catching up of things after the lesson or worrying that there's going to be massive gaps because actually it gives you opportunities in the lessons but okay somebody didn't quite understand this small bit do I need to give them you know just explain it again with representation or do I need to explain it a different way and sometimes you know everyone has those lessons where you think I've done this okay I really not pitched this well this step was massive and didn't think how small this you know I thought you need to break it even to smaller steps um that actually you can go right okay stop the lesson we need to do, we need to look at this key bit. I mean, I taught a lesson last week where it went complete to part by the end of it. I introduced something that was way too big at that part of it, and we had to completely script the lesson back, go right back to where we were. And, but if I hadn't have had that small step and I had given that to them at the end of the lesson, I may not have been able to actually address that problem when it was needed to be addressed. Right. So to be able to move on. Yeah, and I, th- I think for myself and for the teachers across our school is, um, it might be more difficult when you initially start it because I think you have to think through your lessons more carefully than you mm. previously had to so I think the planning and the well the preparation side because we prepare our, our planning is our boards that we use within our lesson and in yeah. our school I think that initially takes the teachers more time because they have to prepare for that 
more carefully because as Sam was saying, if they make that jump too big, that's when they're going to lose the children. That's when you're going to find it more difficult to manage the children. But I think also it's how your classroom's set up. So that's why it's vital to have those mixability groups correct as well and not having your lowest attaining child next to your highest attaining child because of course then those conversations aren't going to happen in the way you want them to but I think if you've got the mixability groupings right in your classroom and you've thought about those questions carefully as you go through actually it makes your job easier in the classroom when you're teaching because as Sam was saying you can go around you can address mm. those misconceptions you can pick them out you can eat stop your lesson at a certain point if you can see the children are struggling with them whereas before you was you was kind of juggling one children were starting on an activity and you had five or six things going on in your classroom at one time whereas now all the children are together they're all on the same journey within the lesson but you know that they're going to achieve at different points on that journey mm. um i think what what's important is looking at how you put that out across to your staff so i know when we first introduced maths we talked about episodic teaching or ping pong style because the teachers understood it that way um and when we first went on learning walks and looked at things it wasn't in the way that I'd seen or envisioned it in my head and we brought a thing in to help teachers we put a structure in place so we say you've got to have an anchor task so explore that way of learning really making sure that, that anchor task is not the hardest problem um, problem solving <laughs> question that you're going to need in your lesson that it's just a discussion point and it's a chance for you to first assess in your lesson where your children are at what they can do have they got any understanding of this prior or actually it'll be at the beginning of this after you've explored that, we then brought a thing in called the standard way, which is the most common way that this concept might be looked at from um, for children. And again, they have that, that ping pong part where the teacher's taught it, the children have a go. After the standard way, it is then the non-standard way. Um, it's the non-standard way, so that's the part where... Um, children look at a concept slightly differently so it could be that um, it's been put into a problem it's been worded a slightly different way um, then we look at what it is what it isn't and that structure initially helped our teachers of those stages of the episodic teaching of what was needed as they're gaining confidence they can identify probably more steps in between those as well so that they bring more steps in and um, something that I suppose they developed on is whereas before they might have given a longer time for children to work on something that time that they give the children might be shorter it might be longer depending on what the areas that they're, they're exploring but I think having that structure initially to help teachers with what you mean by episodic or ping pong style teaching yeah. um, supported our staff at our school but not as a straight jacket Going yeah, for no, no. no. I, I think te- you know it's very easy to give teachers a, a, a you know school policy of this is our lesson structure. It's got this part, then you do this part, and then you do this part. Well, actually, I think what you're saying, Faye, for SLT, anybody in SLT listening, or head or Nafsley, wanting to implement it, you may need to think of having small structures in place to get that in place to help teachers. But then I think as teachers get more confident, like you were saying, Faye, they'll eventually be able to take away that straight jacket, like you were saying, and yeah. have a bit more freedom. Um, and I certainly think for SLT that, you know, anybody trying to lead this or monitor this, it helps you work with that teacher in terms of more of a coaching model and say, right, okay, when we look at this lesson, rather than being, you do tick, 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 actually unpick that learning. Was that step small enough? Could you have put a representation in here? Um, you know, how was it, was it a clear enough journey? So you could actually say, well, actually, I thought this jump was too big. Or if a lesson didn't go particularly well, can they identify which small step it went wrong and what could you have done maybe to, you know, what gap could I put in to rectify that? Okay, um, I've asked these two to come with an idea of a lesson that they've taught recently so that we can really drill down into what those episodes are. So, 
Can we start with you, Sam? Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell us what your lesson's about. It's a fractions lesson, is that right? Yes, yeah, so it's the second lesson in a sequence. So it was the first lesson was on fractions as division, and this is continuing that theme, but building it into mixed numbers. Okay, and what year group are we talking about? This is year five. Okay. Year five. Okay, so do you want to tell us, um, well, tell us how you started. Tell us what the first episode was, and what you were doing, what the pupils were doing, and, and how that looked, and then maybe talk us through... Um, the, the, how many episodes were in, yeah. the, in the lesson? Yeah. So my generally, my first episode is always a review. Okay. So if it's a new new lesson, or if it's the first lesson in the topic, it's a review of what they may have learned in the previous year groups, maybe. But in this episode, it was reviewing some um, fractions of division. So one divided by three is equal to um, is equal to a third. That was our first one. And uh, during this point, there, you know, there was no written thing at this point. It was just chatting to the partner. So by and large, that's how I start most of my lessons is that that's my first episode. Yeah. Um, my second episode in this case was, was giving some children some key vocabulary. Because vocabulary is really key. So I wanted them to use dividend, divisor, quotient, and then numerator, denominator, and fraction bar in this lesson. So that was my next, next part of the episode. And my first bit the children were thinking about was um, given I, I tend to start one of my first episodes after my review on um, a real life context. So the context for this particular one was one cake is shared equally between two people. Now I know many people listening might think that's that's very straightforward. You know we we look at this sort of thing in year one, and I think in order to make the lesson flow seamlessly, you do need to start your first episodes off with something that's very very straightforward. You almost want it to be no knowledge something that they can just instantly recollect. It's a record fact. I know that one divided by two is going to be a half. So then building... So everyone feels like they're in the lesson Absolutely. We're in. You know, even your, you know, your S&D children, your low attaining children, children who may have gaps in fraction knowledge are in this lesson. They're involved in this lesson because you've given them a way in. If we started off with, I don't know, some of the later problems with, um, okay, seven divided by four is what is a mixed number, immediately we're going to find that hard. Even though I'm teaching age-related content, you know, to what, we, what the curriculum was asked for. I need, I, you know, my episode is building towards that age-related content. Right. Um, so the first episode um, is we come to a conclusion and I ask the children to be very hands-on. So the first episode, we're building up through going, what's one cake divided by four, two cakes divided by four, and then I get them to do independently three cakes divided by four. So that's, the, that's our first episode. Mm. And our first episode is where the children go away, they're cutting up cakes, they're talking about, how much each person gets. And all the children come to the conclusion that three cakes divided by four is three quarters to each person. And are they doing this on whiteboards or on paper? I, in or? this case, I gave them picture cutouts of cakes oh, to okay. use. Um, so I gave them scissors and they were talking about it and they were reasoning with the partners. And you know, the part of that episode is bringing them back and getting the children to discuss, right, what have we learned in this? You know, what, what have we discovered in this episode? What previous knowledge have we, we brought into this? And actually, we're going to be using this later on. So... Even children who maybe weren't particularly successful last lesson, there were there were a couple of kids in the last lesson who weren't, you know, hundred percent sure. They they were able to have a refresher of that going into this into this one. Okay, so that so you've asked them is that three questions? One divided by four, two divided by four, three divided. That's by four. our first episode. And how long do you think you would give them with the scissors uh, and the paper? It, it, it was very. I mean, the scissors and paper was I'd say three or four minutes okay. practice. Right. Um, and all this, all the time, I'm I'm going around, I'm walking around, I'm asking questions to children, I'm assessing who's finished quickly. Some children had found three quarters instantly. Right. And what did you do with them? So I said, you know, are there any other fractions? Could it be done in halves? And you know, even though it was, it couldn't be. The children, I still wanted them. So some children actually go, oh, I realise that it's a quarter, 
or a half and a quarter. So each person gets a half and a quarter. What about eighths? And some children were then getting, I uh, gave them more cakes to have a go at. So while some children still did that practice, I was able to, you know, say to some kids, right, I want you to just really focus on that three divided by four. How could I, you know, what could I split each cake into? Whereas others, I was pushing for depth. So I'm not, you know, children are not sitting there just doing nothing. Okay. And then the next one? Uh, so the next episode was looking at the, what the quotient was for each of these. So one divided by four is a quarter, two, et cetera, et cetera. And I had all those sentences that we just worked together on the board and discussed and asked them what's staying the same, what's changing. So asking the children to look at, well, noticing this relationship, the quotient's getting larger. So bringing them to this generalisation, if the divisor is kept the same, the greater the dividend, the greater the quotient. Oh, that's a big sentence, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so then I asked them to use that knowledge. So the next episode was, right, use that knowledge. Can you put these calculations in order? Okay. So all had the same divisor, so they're all divided by eight, and then the dividend was changing, so it was two, eight, four, and they had to put them which were going to be greatest in order. So they're all all up to a hole at this point. So then the children would go do this, and I didn't want them to work it out. I just want them to have a go at right. practicing it. Okay. And this was on paper, was it? This was this was in this was the first thing that to do on the worksheet. Okay. Which yeah. is the first question. So I find when it comes to worksheets that I colour code things. So I'll have a box and I say, Can you do go the, do the blue questions first? Okay. Or you know, if you're using black and white, could you do question one first? So then they're signposted to, right, you're only doing that bit. Some children might feel like, okay, I can have a question too, but I, I don't want them to rush on to the second part. And do your, do your class know that now? Because yes. Because I think if you took this to absolutely. a class that weren't used to this style of the, teaching... They, they do all questions at once. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I have to stop them because, you know, I think it, for those children that are quick finishers, it's more about depth. Is there other ways I could have done it? Is it, fle- you know, showing flexibility in methods? Mm. Uh, if I change this, how would it affect it? If I change one thing, if the divisor was now nine... Would that change it? You know, so I'm not having extra things prepared. I'm not got a, rushing onto the board. I got a question. I feel like if I gave gave it, you know, a more a deeper question, I might need to unpick that with the children because they might not have understood that. And then suddenly I'm firefighting two separate things, whereas I'm trying to keep everybody together. Right. Okay. Um, so the next episode is an is in a different context. So it's a new concept. So we've looked at cakes. Now we're looking at uh, bags of of flour. Right. So. I've got five bags of flour and four cakes. Um, or five bags of flour makes four cakes. So ask them the question of how much flour do you need to make one cake? And that my next episode, that was it was a very much a question, explore. Right. So I gave the opportunities to, to, to talk through what they know now and to have a go at that one. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I was pleased or not, but the children were just stumped at this point. <sighs> And I think sometimes it's important for children to struggle. Yeah, when you think about where you started that lesson yeah. and where you are now yeah. in, what, 20 minutes, yeah. that's, that's quite... It's, it's a big jump, yeah. and, and, I, and I feel I was expecting them to struggle a little bit. Okay, so then how did you deal with that? Um, so the key was the representation. So if we're talking about sharing five bags between four, so the sentence is five divided by four, well, we know we can share four of those things. So the representation was a bar model. So I had a five kilogram split into one kilograms, the children could very clearly see that I could split the bag, the four of those bags between four cakes, and then what was left over was one bag. So then I got the children to reason, how could I split one bag between four cakes? Is it possible? And they were like, oh, it's easy, I can just split a quarter between each one. Right. Great, next part, have a go between six between five, or six bags of flour between five cakes. So then the children go and apply that straight away. So there's immediately... They're able to apply and use that knowledge. And then I've got the next episode, which is another different context. Is that another right? Con- yeah, another context. Okay. So it's um, in this case we're looking at lollipop sticks. So I've seen 
lollipop sticks used before to represent remainders, but I've used the same concept for fractions. So if I give you seven lollipop sticks, how many triangles can you make? So we can get two triangles and a lollipop stick remain uh, left over, which we can interpret as a third of a triangle. Yeah. So the next episode was very much about using that knowledge. So if I give you 11 lollipop sticks, can you make me how many triangles can you make? How many squares can you make? How many pentagons can you make? And then what can we express that as a mixed number? And you were talking through each of the your, your flour and cakes context and then they were working and then your lollipop sticks yeah. context and then they were working. Absolutely, yeah. Each taking what... Uh, Five minutes. Yeah, each, I mean, really? it was. I think, but each episode. I mean, I, the, the 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 bags of flour between cakes. That episode may have only taken us in total about six or seven minutes. But we needed that to be able to access the next the next episode. Okay. And then, are we near the end now? How, um, where so did you get to at the end? To, to be honest, that was ma ma majority of children. That was the end of the lesson. Right. Okay. Uh, majority of children. That was the point that they got to. There were some other things I prepared that were kind of deepening that understanding but I was the, my part of the lesson was for them to understand that particular episode yeah there was some deeper understanding and some children got to some children found very challenging but some children really got to the depth of that understanding yeah um so there were other episodes that I may have come on to if we'd have been ready for it yeah um but there weren't I weren't, wasn't expecting everyone to the whole lesson to have finished by that point so there's just a couple of extension questions about what 13 divided by 5 would be or 14 divided by 5 and be able to use that remainder. Now, if some children had got onto that, yes, would you have just would you have discussed that with the whole class? No. Right. Okay. It was it, I I because I, I was floating around. I knew which children I needed to speak to, and some children had, had got that and got it wrong. Mm. Now my next lesson was looking at this idea, so it was very much something to ponder upon, and I would obviously look in their books and see how they got on with that, but I would not be expecting that at this point that everyone would have got that. 100% correct because it was very much a right this is your next bit of thinking to really deepen it if you can get to that um, that's really helpful thank you um, let's see what Faye's got I think you've got another division lesson is that yeah right? that's correct um, yeah. less less focused on fractions is that right yeah so this was um, this was we, it was taught in a year 6 class so obviously um, di division short division with formal written methods does come at year 5 but this was something the teacher identified as being an area that the children were finding um, difficult to do so the previous lesson before this was the children looking at short division um, with three digit numbers divided by one digit number with no remainders and um, they worked on that for a couple of days and were confident with that so this was the first lesson on looking at um, dividing three digit numbers by one digit number with remainders okay um, we always start our lessons off with a chanting exercise so we chanted times tables and it was specific today to the seven times table because we knew that was something that the children were struggling with within the lesson was their seven times table so can, so can I just ask then so that first episode was very if they hadn't had that first episode they wouldn't have necessarily been successful with the rest of the lesson yeah so we knew later in the lesson that if we hadn't have looked at the seven times table that could have been a sticking something that the children became found difficult later mm. on so mm. we purposely chanted the seven times table they started off with just a question. Um, it says it was 129. There are 129 eggs that need to be packed, um, packaged. A box holds six eggs, and they were given two questions: How many eggs can be packaged? How many will be left? And that's that. Though we knew that they could do some of the division because they'd done it the previous day, but then because of the two questions, some of the children 
would have been able to do the division but not then read the next part of the question so that's that that all children can access this but then obviously for children that find it more simple because we want them to find it simple at this point because I'm just checking you can all do that division um, there was also asked to use representations within there so if they found um, it difficult show the representations if you've done it one way show it with a representation show it using a bar model show a different way that you can do this right. and um, how long would you have given them on that one well, so, two questions, so, so this was, was three to four minutes maximum right. and in that time I was looking around and I was purposely looking around for this time for what they did with that remainder because I knew that some children um I well I envisioned that some children would put it as a remainder some children might put it as a decimal um point three some children might have not even put it and, and that's exactly what happened as we went right. in the lesson now although I saw that I didn't explore that there and then but I knew the children where it was and I took their boards to come back to later on so then just like Sam was talking we then really focused in on the language so we revised the language of dividend divisor quotient and we explored using that language what was the dividend in our problem mm. what was the divisor in our problem what is the quotient and obviously Right, some children, because they had the question of how many eggs can be packaged, how many will be left, they had different answers for that as well, with different things. And some children um, hadn't, envisaged, hadn't envisaged, they hadn't quite done it right, or they hadn't thought about the amount of boxes they might need. So we explored that, but we linked that language back to the problem that they were having, so that, they, that it was purposeful to them. Um, then we explored that problem first of all so we used counters and we showed with counters how um, how to do the short division so what we need to do do we need to exchange any of these counters when we're going through the short division problem so that children who can't aren't as confident with their times tables they had a way so place value counters place value yeah. counters had a way of accessing that learning yeah. still yeah. we then went on to just a standard way of looking at that so we gave them another um, calculation which was 849 divided by 4 yeah. and again we wanted the children to use the counters to show it in that way um, and the way we work is we have children working in partners so they're talking with each other and we always say one's using the resources one's writing down what that person's doing okay. and then they talk through and if they've got any challenges with each other they can talk it through there and then at that same point I'm now still going around the classroom so I'm seeing have the children because we've explored that first um, anchor task together, I'm looking now where 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 are we falling down? Are there any errors? And again, obviously, the remainder came up as being an issue. So then we explored the remainder, and with the counters. So hold on, you've given them one calculation here, and you're not just asking them to do that calculation on paper. You're asking them to show it using counters. Is that yeah, right? show it using okay. counters. Talk to yeah. each other about it, because the purpose of the counters is at the end they've got some counters left, and then right. we started to talk about here about well, what? How do we express those counters? What do we write them down as? How do we record them? Can we record them as point three can we record them as a remainder what do we have to do with them and we explore that there. stop you here because i think what our listeners won't be able to see is that you haven't given these pupils 849 counters to put into four no. groups <laughs> um what faye's talking about is using uh something that looks like the classic bus stop but using uh different colored counters for different um values yeah. so she's got hundreds counters, tens counters and units counters and she's kind of um, arranged them a bit like the bus stop. I will try and put an image on the um, podcast page so that you can see what I'm talking about but um, I think this is something that her pupils have, have seen before, is that yeah, right? that's correct, yeah. yeah. And obviously within the first way of looked at it, we purposely chose numbers where the children wouldn't have to regroup the counters across. So yeah. here, 849, 4 goes into 8, 4 goes into 4, but it doesn't go into 9, just mm. to focus 
on that remainder initially and what that remainder means. So would you do the regrouping the next lesson? Well, no, we did it within this lesson oh, this really? time right. as well. Okay. So that, that's, that, that was the step we got to to be able to come to this. But that, again, we'd probably give the children about three minutes to explore, then we'd feed back on, on the board. At that point, we then give them um, a chance to do... They have, we split our work and to do it, twist it, deepen it. So it's just that variation as we go through. It's a, a concept we use at our school. And they have the, the chance to go in at the standard way they do it and having a go at accessing those questions because we'd explored that that problem together. Mm. And they might have had five minutes or so to work through. And that's all children doing the, the do it the questions. The do it, do it questions right. together um, in the standard way. We then went on to, obviously, the non-standard. And this is where the, it was 904 divided by 7. Okay. And this is where that knowledge from the 7 times table comes in because we spoke to the children and this time we removed the counters because we wanted to link it through more to times tables this time and showing that we don't always have to represent the counters you can if you need to but actually um if we if we can use our times table knowledge so then we refer back to obviously the times tables that we'd done i did actually show this with the counters because it was showing regrouping in this instance right. which the children will have come across previously and um, when there was no remainders but just for those children who might not have been grasping the concept rapidly we could then show them how this works again but again this would be another question so in the non-standard way because we call it non-standard because this time rather than just having the remainder they've got to regroup and have a remainder within okay. the answer so they've got more things that they're thinking about within this problem so that's what and when i was at school i would have called carrying yeah but now we're calling it regrouping <laughs> yeah. because actually that describes better what's actually happening, what's happening with the numbers, with the numbers yeah, yeah. yeah um also having the zero in here as well that for some children can mm. just slip them up all of a sudden so mm. so purposely exploring those misconceptions we know children are likely to have before they come across them right. as well and dealing with any misconceptions that they have but again the children would have gone off had a go at this working in their partners using the counters um challenging each other as well as they were going through through the lesson um, with that. Then again, the children would have had a go at doing that with their non-standard in the do it section, having a go at doing that, but all the children doing that at the same time, keeping up. And it's really interesting because in this particular lesson, a child who um, would you would have perceived in the lesson was really confident and was really giving lots of feedback, really found those questions challenging. And I think it's just a really important point that all the children need to do all the questions because in the old way of teaching should have been one um, that I'd have been like, oh, go off, okay, you can do it. And actually, when she completed this non-standard way with regrouping a zero, she'd, become, she'd come unstuck with it all of a sudden. So I think it's just a really important point that episodic teaching is all children moving through at the same time because although they can look like they're doing it, they, they, they might struggle as well. So after we'd done that, we then... Um, we then explored with our children then we because we've looked at that in two different ways they then access the twist it and deepen it independently but that's where at that point children who have struggled i will have pulled out to myself um, and work on those now our twist it's always um, active argument questions so is someone right is someone wrong tell me how you know so it's still thinking about that concept in the same way but having to reason more with it and explain it more um as well and then so does this episode look a little bit more like uh what went before where the children are working independently and the teacher is putting in the input where they where you feel it's necessary yes yes right. so, okay. so but so, at a shorter period of time presumably yeah it? so yeah. shorter period of time so we, we would have pulled the children to us that need that um and then from there we'd move on to the deep in it type questions but that would be for the future and so like sam was saying 
I wouldn't be purposely targeting everyone in my class to necessarily get to that point within the lesson. It's for those children that have been successful as they've gone through that lesson and they're the ones that are aiming to get onto that. Um, we do have something called the Dong Naojin that we have, which if children are... That's Chinese, isn't it? It is Can Chinese. Can you translate so, it for us? So it's, it's the usual head question. Right, um, usual so head. The usual okay. head question. Um, this is for all children at the end. So we, at the end, put this up. So it's not it's not a plenary because almost it's it can it's kind of looking at can children find an access into this okay. so can they don't necessarily have to solve it your child that's got a secure understanding might be able to solve it but actually can your lowest attaining pupil or the child that's found this the most difficult still access that problem and look in and will some children if they've um, being su successful in the lesson might have a go at this in their books and have a go at doing it before the end of the lesson right. the rest of us will then draw together and it'll be again partner work whiteboard work have a go on your whiteboards um, so do you want to read us this. that, that so this one says Harry says without doing a written method I know 7,350 divided by 7 will not have a remainder is he correct and right. then we'd get the children to explore so obviously there children who are still battling with the concept of short division with remainders might have to revert to the written method to try and solve it to see whereas children that have got a more secure understanding and using times table knowledge would look at that in a slightly different way and right. we want them to try and look at the numbers the relationships between the numbers as well um, we'll and then we'll talk through it so we might not solve it all together at okay. the end um, and that's when then um, if we haven't explored it and solved it all together that's when the next lesson I might pick up with some of the children who I know should have solved it and look at the, the areas that they've done right. within that as well. Okay, that's very interesting. Well, I, you've certainly opened my eyes and uh, explained a little bit about, more about um, ping pong and how it works and episodic as we, as we prefer to call it perhaps. Um, thank you both very much for being here. It's, it's been a great thank pleasure you. meeting you and, uh, and finding out about exactly what you're doing in your schools. Thank I you wish you all the best with it. Thank you. Thank you very much.